0: everyone to this episode of the NLN podcast, Nursing Edge Unscripted, The Scholarship Track. I'm Dr. Sue Fornaris, and I am the Director of the Division for Innovation and Education Excellence at the National League for Nursing in Washington, D.C. Our unscripted conversation track entitled Scholarship celebrates the published work of select nurse educators from the NLN's official journal, Nursing Education Perspectives. In these conversations, we're gonna embrace the author's unique perspectives on teaching and learning innovations and the implications these have for our nursing program development and enhancement. In this episode today, uh, we entitle it, Exploring Perspectives on Vaccine Development and we'll focus on the unique perspectives of Dr. Karen Frith, who is the NLN Nursing Education Perspectives Emerging Technologies Editor. Dr. Frith is also professor and associate dean for graduate programs at the University of Alabama College of Nursing in Huntsville, Alabama. So welcome, Dr. Frith. Thank you so much. So your particular um, column article was featured in the July-August 2020 NEP publication, and it was entitled 20-Year Synthetic Biology Research Roadmap implications for vaccine development and future research. And it came out at a really timely you know, point in our own uh, trajectory here as uh, citizens of the United States and what we're going through with this COVID uh, vaccine pandemic. So um, tell me a little bit about what made you decide to do a column in NEP focused on this.
1: So I work at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, which is a university that is um, highly focused on science and technology. Um, We are uh, located one mile away from NASA Marshall Space Flight Center and from the Missile Command Center uh, in Huntsville, Alabama. So it is a very unique place. And when I uh, do my research, um, we work with others, in engineering, science, computer science, um, because we're the only nursing, uh, the only health science program in our university. So we're not associated with an academic medical center, and it's a, a small university. It has 10,000 students in it, but it's um, but it is classified as a high research uh, institution uh, because of our work uh, in in sciences and engineering. Yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, when I uh, came to the uh, to the Huntsville area and began working in research, my natural inclination was to reach out to those in computer science. I have a background in informatics. And so um, it, it has been the most fun uh, working there. But uh, because of that, those associations with my colleagues, I read widely in the engineering and science literature.
0: Yeah, and that's not an area when you think about academic health centers Mm -hmm. that you hear a lot of real direct connection between nursing um, programs and the engineering departments um, and computer science. So that's really a valuable intersection.
1: It is. Um, And so in
0: 2019,
1: uh, the 20-year Synthetic Biology Roadmap was published. And so I read the piece and um, it's it's a highly technical uh, document and it was developed by over 80 scientists across the world. And in that um, roadmap, it really talked about the various areas that uh, could be influenced by this work of engineering and biology or engineering and health. And um, so one of those areas was in vaccine development um, infectious diseases, but also non-infectious diseases. So, um, I remember sitting at the uh, at a conference in January 2020 and seeing the first um, map that came out in Johns Hopkins uh, website tracking uh, the coronavirus vaccine and thinking. And I remember reading. Uh, the, the document in 2019, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is this is the time. Uh, this is about to uh, become a really big problem for us. So I went back and I found um, again the document, reread it, and it stunned me. I thought, you know, I just this is what's going to be the pathway for us because I knew that that um, flu vaccines take far too long um, to. To produce um, a vaccine that's effective, so <clears throat> there had to be some new technology out there, and so that's what that that's what really um, gave me the thought
0: to start on it. Yeah, uh, it, it was it, timely. It was really a yeah. timely. Excuse me for interrupting. No. <laughs> uh, you know, no peace because um, you know to open up the journal in July, August, and to see that on there in the midst of you know the vaccine um, on the. Thrust of being able to be released. Um, I thought, wow, what a timely, mm-hmm. a timely piece. There was a there was a sentence in um, the. Well, there are a couple of sentences mm-hmm. that were very intriguing to me as you read through it. But there was a, a particular citation from Founds in 2009, mm-hmm. um, and it would and uh, it was interpreted by you as nurse scientists, particularly mm-hmm. those in programs of research that focus on system biology. Mm-hmm crucial members of these engineering biology research teams. And so I thought, gosh, you must have some knowledge or thoughts about examples of the work of of nurse scientists Mm -hmm. that are doing this work. Yeah, so um,
1: we um, at the University of Alabama in Huntsville have several of our nurse scientists that are working in this area. Um, For example, my own research is with a computer engineer, uh, Dr. Emilia Vanov. And we've been working together for 10 years on digital um, healthcare. Uh, While it's not genetic based, it is based on personalized medicine. And what we're trying to do is to find um, early biomarkers of mobility problems so that we don't wait until someone falls to begin those interventions. And so there, um, of course, we have smartphones, smartwatches and other wearable technologies. And so that's an area where I'm focused. A couple of my other colleagues at the university are uh, focused on genetic research with um, others. So, uh, Dr. Louise O'Keefe uh, did a study with um, Gene Capture, which is a biotech company here in Huntsville, and her work was on. Um, Uh, working with this uh, company to test a device that would take small samples of urine and detect the bacterial infection within 45 minutes, whereas a a culture takes over 24 to 48 hours. And that that research study was uh, successful, and they did find that uh, there was a 90% uh, validity and reliability of those studies and so of the urine samples so that's another application that is fascinating and could change bedside uh, diagnostics um, to give people the right antibiotics at the time they need them so yeah, yeah. so just awesome your way yeah yeah wow. and then yeah dr um Susan Alexander is working with our atmospheric science team here in um, Huntsville. And so they use um, sensors in the, uh, in the environment, and she, t- uh, she correlates the atmospheric readings with the incidence of cardiac and pulmonary disease that results in um, hospital visits and in ER business. So there's just a world of uh, opportunity. Uh, one of our new PhD students is working with uh, Dr. Pam O'Neill and Dr. Elise Adams, and she's looking at the gut biome of uh, neonates and trying to see is there an association with colic. Now all the mothers, <laughs> If this work can be successful, and you can figure out well, what is a biome in a, a infant's uh, intestinal tract that is good versus one that leads to colic. Um, that's going to be a major contribution to motherhood, yes. especially
0: firstborns <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when you make the decision whether you want to go through this again or not. So <laughs> absolutely. And of course there are other
1: universities out there. I just highlight our own researchers because I know their work so well, uh, but Duke university has a very fine program um, and, and there are many others uh, that do as well. And so it's, not uh while it might seem seem um
0: in the distance for nurse uh scientists it's really not it's here yeah it's it's just amazing um, the far reaches of the discipline in terms of its contribution in healthcare. Absolutely. Right. Um, you know, you mentioned um, your own work in biomarkers, and I know that there um, was some um, areas of the article that talked about the automation technologies mm-hmm. and the fast sequencing. Right. Um, and um, and you, there was a term that was used, synthetic biology, mm-hmm. and and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about the um, the COVID 19 vaccine in relationship. Is this a synthetic biology and this whole notion of um, of biomarkers?
1: Yeah, so it is. Um, it is definitely uh, and synthetic means engineered. So if you think about uh, bioengineering or biomedical engineering, this is the area of the intersection with our health um, uh, concerns. Okay. And so um, the way that the messenger RNA um, works is that it introduces a molecule that stimulates uh, the, the production of a, an antigen and then it just disappears from the body. It's it's a messenger RNA. So it doesn't infect the host, that would be us. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and it once it causes the protein to develop, then there is no other purpose for it and it just dissipates from the body. So it's quite a safe, uh, it's safer than most other kinds of vaccines. Now I say that, and we all know that right now, um, we're in data, large data collection at this point. Uh, and we won't know for many years, really the um, the long-term effects. We know short-term it's very safe.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. And I know when you mentioned the use of the, the RNA vaccines that mm-hmm. they, um, that they're, uh, their use in manufacturing these vaccines or the discovery of these vaccines is the technology is faster. And, um, you know, and with, and that is, that's been somewhat of a media uh, speculation, Mm -hmm. so to speak, where uh, the um, public is concerned about this use of media's fast tracking of vaccine mm-hmm. preparation. and 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 perhaps you can speak to to that a bit because um, it doesn't necessarily mean it was done differently than a- any other preparation. And I'm wondering if if you have some thoughts.
1: I do. Thank you for that question. So I wanted to start by saying that the whole idea of using messenger RNA as a method for vaccination goes back um, about 40 years. And so the science has been around for a long time, but the ability to use that science in large scale, uh, at large cell purposes, Um, is just now coming to the uh, forefront. And that's because um, gene sequencing now has gotten rapid, just like the example that I talked about earlier on the uh, urine samples that were um, tested for its genomic uh, structures to diagnose the uh, presence of bacteria. All of this work now is made uh, fast through uh, very rapid, uh, rapid uh, analysis of genes and genome, genoma, genomic structures because of the computing power that we have now, um, and we didn't have it years ago, um, and so it the progression of the technology, uh, really there are a couple of points in time, uh, so 40 years ago, and then in the early 2000s, there was some work done that that looks like, okay, this might be possible. But then it was in 2017 when uh, there was a nationwide, you could start seeing the movement in this area of RNA vaccines and, and really engineered solutions. Um, and there was a, a chapter written by Cramps and Elvers in. Uh, it was called the introduction of RN, uh, RNA vaccines in 2017. Um, and then there, were, then there were a lot of publications in the scientific literature that started in 2018, just in time for the pandemic. Man, <laughs> and they, knew, they didn't know about it, of course, but they knew that there are other um, illnesses like Zika and Ebola that are all viruses as well. And the idea that there would be another pandemic is widely known in the uh, medical literature. We've been just waiting on it and it has come. And so the uh, the scientists that were working on it, while it's fast tracked in the media, it has not been a fast track in the scientific literature.
0: Just the technology has so much more progressive at this moment in time. And we haven't had a pandemic, right. uh, you know, essentially. Um, right. And so that, yeah, that does make sense. So would you say then that, you know, as you think about that um, in terms of setting a benchmark for future (laughs) vaccine, is this uh, COVID-19 vaccine production and the whole science behind how that evolved, is that a new benchmark for us?
1: I think it is. Um, It's a new method. Um, completely different from uh, the other types of methods that have been used with live or attenuated viruses. This does not contain any virus at all and so it's just a completely different method and um, one of the things that it will also influence and the pandemic as we know has had terrible terrible effects on the uh, people's lives uh, from health and economy and Uh, lost jobs and those kinds of things and at the same time there have been innovations that have come from it and this is one of those and so um it's not only for infectious diseases but rna vaccines can be used and are being researched as solutions to cancer so there are yeah so there are probably a thousand clinical trials going on right now Um, some of the um ones that are probably the most promising are melanoma and and of course that one is a um, is a very aggressive uh, cancer and so this work on RNA vaccines for this virus will probably accelerate the work that can be done to find real solutions to cancer treatment.
0: Oh that's fascinating Mm -hmm. Uh, you know um One of the other pieces that this also gets to is chronicity, as we look at some of the chronic illnesses, you know, of our own time and nurses work in that. And that was actually part of a strategic plan that was mentioned in your article that came from the Institute of Nursing Research, um, you know, this personalized health and, and, Um, and the future direction of nursing research, Mm -hmm. you know, the Mm -hmm. practice of nursing research. So, you know, you address this really important point and that has implications for teaching and learning with our graduate level preparation of nurses in our discipline. And so, you know, as you think about um, our undergraduate and looking at a trajectory Mm -hmm. of practice moving forward, talk to me a little bit about how you think this informs preparation Um, as they begin their part um, in the practice? Okay, thank you. Uh, Great question.
1: So uh, one of the things that I think about with uh, personalized health uh, or personalized medicine is that um, if everything continues as it looks like it will, and it's successful, Um, This type of work is gonna be um, as groundbreaking as um, antibiotics work. So that um, we won't talk about um, people dying from certain diseases in the future because there will be this genetic work that will help either make it a chronic disease and not uh, uh, cause mortality. And so we need to educate our nursing students to be prepared for that. So one of the first things is um, while we're learning about RNA vaccines, our nursing students need to learn about them too. Because one of the things that we know is our students who are in clinical practice Uh, with their faculty members are always asked by patients, well, what do you think about this or the other? The patients don't really know that they're a student. I mean, they know, but they think, oh, well, she's a nursing or he's a nursing student. So they ask kind of hard questions. So we have to prepare our students to be able to answer questions about the safety and efficacy of RNA vaccines. And we have to teach them about possible new ways that they could be delivered. So we all think about a vaccine um, as a needle in the arm. But of course, we know there are other ways that you could deliver vaccine. You can deliver it as a spray in the uh, nasal uh, cavity and there are different ways. But one of the new interesting ones is a vaccine delivered on um, something that looks like a Band-Aid and it has multiple arrays. And what that means is small micro needles on the, uh, the shape of a Band-Aid, and it's pressed into the skin. And then after the uh, medication is delivered, then um, those microneedles dissolve because they're made of sugar and other kinds of dissolvable, dissolvable sur- substances. So can you imagine uh, that we have a student who goes to make a home visit And uh, with the the home health nurse delivers a vaccine by just pressing a Band-Aid against the skin. And so we
0: have to teach them about that. And why that... The patches, you know, when the patches came out in terms... So it's very similar in some ways, maybe a little (laughs) bit uh, uh, higher a level of explanation for the patient. But Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to to think
1: about, I mean, there uh, we, we also have to prepare our students for uh, sensor-based health. Um, there are There's a lot of literature out there uh, leading me to believe, and, and many others, because a lot of research is being done in it, that um, our sensor-based wearable and environmental sensors may actually um, provide um, real-time data, or at least um, collected data by uh, healthcare providers that can be used to assess people in their daily lives, not just in an office visit. Um, And so we need to prepare our nursing students for that kind of technology. And you pair those kinds of wearable environmental sensors with information about the genetic makeup of an individual. We're talking a whole new world of healthcare.
0: You know, it's, it's funny that the conversation continues because this whole informatics and use of data to inform practice trends, you know, mm-hmm. as you think about, um, especially as we know, uh, nursing practice will become more and more community based mm-hmm. with, you know, sicker and sicker people in the hospital changing sort of the dynamics of the right. volume of people in hospitals versus the volume of care delivered um, you know, in the, in the community. I've often, you know, made the, the comparison that as a practicing ICU nurse back in the day, uh, those patients, uh, now are, are seen in today on general med surge patients and the patients in ICUs today were dead, you know, 40 years ago. So it just, um, it's going to be a different kind of nursing, I think, as we move forward and, um, And this information is really vital Mm -hmm. as we prepare.
1: Right. And I think about when I was uh, teaching in undergraduate education about diseases like asthma. Um, And now we have to think about how we would teach students about um, using air quality sensors and pollen level and uh, how we would look at inhaler use and an adherence uh, measurement. That all of those data can be pulled together. And instead of uh, um, teaching them strictly about, um, you know, how a medical diagnosis is made, you know, and um, it really moves more into treatment and how a nurse is central in the treatment of that. Um, uh, And so other kinds of technologies that can be used are um, breath nitric oxide levels, so exhaled nitric oxide, which is a very individual measurement and in daily life could be used. And so you put that with a geosensor, air quality, pollen levels, and we get to a place where not only are we treating, but we're predicting and we're using these um, preemptive plans to keep people from having an asthma attack. Right. And nurses will be at the the center of that.
0: Yeah, trying to curb the behavior, trying to reinforce mm-hmm. health practices that would move them, yeah, down a different uh, trajectory. Absolutely. Right. Oh, this has been so fascinating, Karen. I just I appreciate your expertise in this area, and uh, we look forward to more that is going to come uh, as you uh, continue to be the editor of the Emerging Technologies column. Lots of really good information there, and to our nurse educators as they work with our future professional nurses. So, well, thank you for joining me today. Yeah. I really, really appreciate it. And for all of you who are interested in reading um, this column, you can go to Nursing Education Perspectives, and it is the July-August 2020 edition that you'll find Dr. Frith's column. Thank you. Thank you.